I sort of came up with an, a definition that activism is being led by your values to purposeful work in the hopes of making the world brighter for other people. And then the other part of it, your sort of subline, your subtext, is that you can do this and still have joy. Oh, absolutely. My name is Linda Laurel, and I'm asking you to have the courage to listen with an open mind to all of our voices, because our voices matter. I want to take a moment to thank BMW of West Houston for sponsoring this episode of Our Voices Matter podcast. BMW, of course, is known as the ultimate driving machine because of its precision and power. As someone who has driven a BMW for many years now, I can attest to that firsthand. But I think what's even more important, especially about this particular BMW dealership, is that it understands the power and the impact of giving back to its community. BMW of West Houston is known for its support of countless local charities, and that is important to us here at Our Voices Matter podcast. So if you choose to do business with BMW of West Houston, not only will you be getting the stellar first-class service that the dealership is known for, but you can also rest assured that you are doing business with a dealership that truly cares about and gives back to its community. Hi, everybody. It's Linda Laurel, and this is our Voices Matter podcast. I've been looking forward to this interview for quite some time now. I was thrilled when I called her and asked her if she would do the podcast, and she said yes. My guest today is Karen Walrand, author, activism and leadership coach, speaker and photographer, senior director of global engagement of the Brene Brown Education and Research Group. She is just an incredible woman, and I cannot wait for you to hear this conversation. So Karen and I first met many years ago, shortly after the release of her first book, The Beauty of Different. Most recently, she has released a book called The Lightmaker's Manifesto, How to Work for Change Without Losing Your Joy. I cannot recommend both of these books highly enough. If you are looking for a breath of fresh air, some inspiration and some positivity in this crazy, chaotic, divisive world that we're living in. This episode is for you. Enjoy. Karen Walrand, I cannot believe I am having you on my podcast. Thank you so much for saying yes and welcome to the show. Oh my gosh, it's such an honor. <laughs> and we were talking beforehand. I am just always thrilled to have an opportunity to connect with you. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, of course. So I was just thinking back to the first time that I think I met you. Yeah. And I cannot believe that you said it was 2010. It was when uh, The Beauty of Different came out. I that know. was forever ago. Forever ago. I know, you know, forever but the ago. pandemic has sort of warped our sense of time. So yes, it, we it could truly be has. Yeah, <laughs> it, yeah it, it, it truly has. And I do want to talk about that book, because it's just truly beautiful oh, and so inspiring. But your most recent book, The Lightmaker's Manifesto, mm. How to Work for Change Without Losing Your Joy. Indeed. So yeah, I just finished reading it. I loved it. What a what a a breath of fresh air. What an inspiration. I'm working on my manifesto. Nice. So thank you. Very I love much. to hear that. That's awesome. <laughs> okay. So my question first is why this book in this moment? 
Well, you know, I would love to say that I had this muse inside of me just crying to get out to write this book about the intersection of joy and activism, but that would be a total lie. I, um, yeah. my publisher, who was not my publisher for before this book, um, reached out to me at the, it would have been like January 2nd, 2020. Um, she had read my books, my, my earlier book, and she had read other things that I'd written and said, um, you don't know me, but our publisher is looking for a book on the intersection of joint activism. And I think you could do it. Um, and luckily for her, I had chosen the words bold and experiment for my words for the year. So, um, I said, yeah, sure. I could totally do that. Um, and hung up the phone or hung up the zoom and thought, I, I have no, why would what? I think I could do this? What? Right? Yeah. Like, what, what, who thought? I'm, what I'm, not an, I'm not an activist, right? <laughs> Activists are people who get tear gassed or have police dogs set on them. I, that's not what I do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I thought, well, I love interviewing people. Um, I had interviewed a lot of people in my first book. And so I thought, well, who do I know that might be up for an interview? And so I started making a list and I made a, you know, Brene Brown was one of the first people who was on my list. Tarana Burke is a friend and the founder of the Me, Me Too movement. And I made this list and I realized that these men and women that I had listed were undoubtedly in my mind activists, but they weren't people who were getting arrested or tear gassed. And so I wondered, why was it okay for me to use those words for them? And not for me when I had certainly done similar types of work. And that's really um, what the book explores. It sort of explores what does activism look like? And how can mm -hmm. you do it in a way that feels integral to the person that you are and that makes yeah. you of service in a way that feels just very natural and even joy giving. I, I love the way you explain how this came to be. And so I'm going to read to you something from your book that resonated with me because I never thought of myself as an activist mm. until I read this. And this is what you wrote. Okay. We can proactively take the things that fuel us, our gifts and our passions, and use them to serve the world. We are called to activate others and advocate for the causes that mean the most to us. Being purposeful and using our gifts and talents as fuel for our commitment to serve, even in a world of tremendous pain and injustice, we can minimize the possibility of burnout or even avoid it altogether. Mm -hmm. So that first part is where I went, huh, <laughs> I think I'm an activist. And, and I know, I mean, it's like, wow. Yeah. I mean, because, so this podcast, is my form of activism. Of course. It is it is a form of activism. Mm -hmm. I never thought about it in those words, but but the genesis of it was me trying to figure out a way to use my skills and talents to make the world better, mm. to help bring us together as humans, to help bridge our divides, to help see ourselves in each other's stories, because I truly believe that if we can do that, we can stop all of this nonsense of de demonizing and dehumanizing each other. Absolutely. So that's my activism. And I think we are so closely aligned in how we are going about using our respective talents and gifts. Well, so absolutely. My, my pleasure. And I will tell you, you are not the first person to tell me after reading the book that they suddenly went, wait a minute, I might be an activist, wait, right? Like, my yeah. father was the first person who read the book, and he was the first person to say it. And I think it's it's really interesting that somehow activism 
people have ascribed to it a connotation of suffering. Um, and I think mm. that's why a lot of people think I can't be an activist because even if I do things that help serve the world, I'm not suffering enough to have earned mm. the title of, of activist and of activist, right. Yeah. You know? And so I think that's fun. And, and so I sort of came up with an, a definition that activism is being led by your values to purposeful work in the hopes of making the mm. world brighter for other people. And if you use that definition, suddenly the possibilities of how to enter into activism really sort of open up to you and you start to realize, oh, th this is not something that's intimidating or scary. I could absolutely do this and I might even be called to do it. Right, right. And then the other part of it, your sort of subline, your subtext is that you can do this and still have joy. Oh, absolutely. Yes, it, yes it's hard. Yes, you can burn out if you're not careful to take care of yourself as the journey unfolds. But the point is that you can make that difference. You can keep your, you know, pedal to the metal, feet to the fire, whatever, you know, you want to, you want to say and still have that joy. So what are some of the, the tools and tips to find and maintain that joy as we are working toward guess helping to make things better in whatever the particular struggle is that we have chosen to embark upon. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the women that I interviewed in the book, her name is Valerie, Valerie Kaur, and she's a civil rights uh, activist and a lawyer. And I mean, she's doing amazing work um, for immigration rights. And she was the person that sort of crystallized uh, why joy is not just something that you can have, but if you're going to have any sort of longevity in the world work, you must have it. Because the truth is, and this was something that she said that felt um, both depressing and freeing at the same time. She said that we probably aren't going to get to the world to the, to the point where the world is free of whatever it is we're railing against as activists, right? Like we're probably, it's probably not going to happen yeah. in our lifetime, um, right. which is depressing, but it's also freeing because then now you can say, okay, the, the point is to make progress, right? The point is to right. take the baton from the people who came before us and pass it to the people who come after us. And the only way that we can have longevity in the work is to cultivate that joy, right? So, and it was such, she, it was so crystallizing for me. And so the way that I say, the way that I posit and share for how you do that is one, it requires a lot of introspection. I'm a huge journaler and I provide journal prompts mm -hmm. all through the book, but it's about yes. really tapping into a couple of things. One is what is the thing that you love to do that you would do no matter what, whether you got paid for it or not? What is that thing that brings you joy normally? Right. Mm -hmm. Two, what is the cause that incites passion in you? And passion could be, I really love this cause or this issue makes me so angry, like it drives me to that kind of a passion, right? Yeah. And then mm -hmm. how do you figure out how to do that thing that you love to be in service of that cause? So you're doing something that you love to do anyway, and you're helping be of service in the world. And then the last part of it has to do with connection and gratitude and self-compassion that you have to be able mm. to listen to the ebb and the flow so that 
not only that you're going and going and going when you're feeling strong, but sometimes just like when you breathe, you have to inhale, you have to stop so that yeah. you can gather that energy to exhale and push again. And so you do that by connecting with like minded people, by relying on your friends and loved ones, by making sure that you're taking media breaks if you have to, just for your own sanity, that you're drinking lots of water and like doing whatever <laughs> makes you feel healthy, getting a good night's sleep and really sort of you know, tapping out when you need to tap out and then gather your energy to go back in. And it's, it's not even about self care, like, oh, wow, I'm burned out now. Now I need to heal. I mean, obviously, you should do that. But it's also mm -hmm. about just making sure that before you even burn out that you pull back, inhale, gather that energy so you can go back in full force. So it's sort of a three, four pronged, um, like, stool, you know, three, four prong yeah. tool on how you actually continue to have that longevity in the work. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, when I read that part of the book, I started thinking to myself, okay, I I know I am on the right path because I, I answered those questions mm -hmm. that you were posing. And I thought, okay, you know, I, I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. And, and that feels really good. Now, I've not been a, a big journaler on a consistent basis throughout my life. I There have been periods of time where I have journaled, and then I'll stop, mm -hmm. and then I'll pick it up again, and then I'll stop. And I'm at, at a point now where I'm trying to to pick that up again. And and I, I, I really get the value in mm -hmm. that, and it, it helping you sort of, you know, dig out whatever is going down beneath is going on underneath the surface so that you can bring it to the light. And sometimes when you see it in front of you, it's like, oh, hello. There it is, right? <laughs> Aha, you know, there's that moment. Yeah. There is that I am, moment. So, I am yeah. a huge journaler and I do journal every single day. Like I'm a very avid journaler, but I understand that. I, I mean, that is something that I picked up yeah. as an adult, as, as, as well into adulthood. It's not something that I've done all my life at all. Um, but I always say that what the, the benefit for me for journaling is, I mean, I'm sure you're the same way. You're, you're, if you're one of those people that all your friends are like, oh my gosh, I knew I could come to you. I knew you'd help me figure it out. And you're like, that's mm. great. I helped figure it out. But why can't I do that with my own life? <laughs> right? Like, why can't I figure out my own life? Like a journal, like yeah. writing things down. And for me, like yeah, actually hand writing things down um, so that you're yeah. slow enough to write it helps take you out of yourself and sort of be that mm -hmm. best friend to yourself. Because when yeah. you see it, you go, oh, that I, I can figure out. I know where that's coming from. I know what that's about. Um, we have our yeah. own inner wisdom. And sometimes it just means stopping and being a little bit more objective about it. And for me, that's what a journal does for me. So I, you know, I, I love daily journaling. If you can do it, I think it's great. But I think it's also good to yeah. journal when you need it and put it aside and then journal and come back. It, like, I don't exactly. think that it's something that you necessarily, like, need to be writing. Did you start as a child? No, or no, no, no. I started probably, I mean, I'm trying to think, I probably was 40. Like, I was, I mean, I was well okay. into adulthood yeah. before, before okay. I started. Okay. And now I do it. I mean, I, I use it to clear my head. Um, before I start my day. So yeah. it's the first thing that I do. I yeah. do just one page um, and uh, and just get empty my head and then 
tackle my to-do list and then go from there. But, um, but you know, my mother does it at night. I got her doing it. She's in her 80s and I finally got her doing it. And, and she does it at night. She doesn't like doing it in the morning. So whatever feels right. The, the, the point is to use yeah. it as a tool, right? Like it's not about mm-hmm. great prose mm-hmm. or becoming a wonderful writer. Right. It's just, you know, sort of right. dumping and seeing what comes up. Just dumping what's in yeah. your head. So talk to me a little bit about your backstory. Uh, you just mentioned your mom, and um, I know your your dad was an engineer. You're originally from Trinidad. Yep. So talk to me a little bit about how you grew up and and what it what it is in your in your background that you think led you to this work that you're doing now. Oh, that's such a good question. So yes, yeah, so I was born in the Caribbean. I was born in Trinidad and Tobago. My parents are Trinidadian. Um, you know, I, I grew up, my, my dad's a petroleum engineer. He grew up, he was quite poor when he was, um, he was the second of nine kids and his father was the, uh, he was the schoolmaster at a local school in the village he grew up in, in Trinidad. He, I don't think his father ever graduated high school, but sort of self-taught himself into being able to teach others. Um, and uh, my mother and and my dad scholarshiped his way into a PhD. Like he just kept going in school. He was really great at math, and he ended up going to you know college and graduate school and getting a PhD in petroleum engineering. Um, my mother grew up actually relatively well off in Trinidad as well, um, but grew up at a time when um, it was not. It was considered, at least in Trinidad, a waste of money to send women to college. Um, that they were going to get married anyway. And my grandfather was quite the feminist. And so he said, nope, I'm educating my daughters. And so she ended up getting um, degrees in Spanish and French. And her her facility is in language. She's very real. She speaks five languages now. She just goes to a new country and wow. um, picks up a language. They lived in, in Norway for a while. She picked up Norwegian. They lived in Azerbaijan. She picked up Russian. So she's just really, really gifted with, wow. with, with languages. And uh, through all of that, I think they really were very much um, because they lived in, in all these various places, uh, thanks to my dad's job as a petroleum engineer, um, everywhere they went, they tried to do something, not just um, it wasn't really so much to give back, but as much as it was to really immerse themselves in the culture. And as part of that, it was how can we serve the community that we're in Mm. so that we can become a part of and connect with and get to know the people um, who we're working with and who are um, hosting us in this country. And so they did a lot of that and that, which, and it was just sort of their nature. So, you know, when they were in, in Azerbaijan, my mother helped teach English at an orphanage and, you know, like they, it was just sort of the things that they, my dad teaches math. Now he's retired and he's in his eighties and he still tutors kids in math. And it was something, it was like, it was really in a lot of ways, their tool for connection, which is why I think in a lot of what my dad called me and said, Oh my gosh, I think I may have been an activist. It, I don't know that it would have ever dawned on them as they're, you know, mm. that this is something that out of the goodness and big heartedness of myself, it was sort of like, Oh, there's a need I can help. And in the process I can connect. It, yeah. Right. And so I think mm-hmm. he, they raised both my sister and I in that way. So I've always, um, you know, sort of looked around and seen what I could do to help. And if I could do it in a way that was fun for me, then more is the better. So as a photographer, I traveled places with the one campaign, um, because photography is one of my joys. And it was something that was 
um, needed. You know, I actually, I, you know, I helped with mm-hmm. Habitat for Humanity. I would take photographs of the ceremonies when they would get their keys and then frame the pictures for the families that were getting their new homes. And it was just a way for me to connect and get to know people and also use what came easily to me um, if, of service. And so I, you know, in a lot of ways, I think that's why, um, that's why the publisher sort of found me because she'd seen my photographs and seen some of the work I'd done. Um, and why the book felt very natural to do. And I, I will say, mm-hmm. you know, I, I told you Jan- January, 2020 was when my publisher contacted me. But um, I didn't actually start writing it till March 2020. And if you think about it, like March, yeah. right pandemic's pandemic coming, is. George yeah. Floyd was still alive when I started yeah. writing, Breonna Taylor was still alive. Yep. So there was a lot of mm-hmm. crazy stuff that was happening um, that happening, year. Yeah. And in a way, it was such a gift to be able to write it because I was meeting it while all these awful things were happening. I was interviewing these amazing mm-hmm. people that were doing things to help save the world and doing it because it was what they loved yes. to do. And that's a very empowering and um hope giving exercise right is being able to connect yes. with people like that so so i don't i don't know if that tell that answers your question it was a pretty long-winded answer to your question yeah. but it was just no, sort no, of no. natural that it, it kind of came up yes and it you know just hearing the backstory a little bit you know about your family and how you how you grew up and you know what what was important to your parents and the values that that they lived by and, and instilled in you. And so I know you moved to the Houston area, to Kingwood, yeah. just outside of Houston when you were a teenager, I was 11 right? when I, so we, I moved 11. back and forth, but when I was in Kingwood, it was from seventh to ninth grade. So 11 to 13 was pretty much when I was there, yeah. Okay, so I, I bring that up because that brings me to your, your previous book, The Beauty yes. of Different, which is my, this is, for those of you who are watching, this is my copy that oh. Karen signed for me back in 2010. Um, and it's such a beautiful, beautiful book on, on so many different levels. But you start that book by talking about how you felt like the oh, yeah. other when you moved to Kingwood. And that's something I always ask my guests to talk about. And you can talk about that and maybe something else as well. But what I'm interested in hearing is, you know, what what is the experience like when you are made to feel like the other, you know, whether it's at 11 years old, or if it's at 40 or 45, in a personal or professional mm-hmm. manner, or setting, what did what did it make you feel like? How did you deal with it in the moment? What did you learn from it? And then how are you using those lessons to show up today? Wow, that's a deep question. <laughs> it yes, really ma'am. is. So when I think back to moving, so I was 11 years old. I had been, I was moving from my country, from Trinidad. Um, I looked funny. Uh, the, the you know, back in Trinidad, uh, 11 year olds, pretty much they didn't wear makeup. Um, you know, I had my hair natural and remember this is the late seventies as well. Right. So, um, and I had an accent, I spoke like a Trinidadian. So my voice was totally different. And I, when I came, people would hear me and they would not know, they would know immediately I was not from America or certainly not from Texas. Right. Um, and so, and then all the, all the girls were wearing makeup already and they were wearing heels to school. And I was, you know, so it was very, um, yeah jarring for me also remember these I'm I'm with 12 and 13 year olds um 
who tend to put people in buckets, right? So uh, all the white kids that I went to school with were like, oh, she's black, so she doesn't belong with us. And all the black kids could hear my accent and hear how I spoke. And they say, well, she's not really black because she don't speak like us. So you don't belong Mm. with us either, right? Because remember, I mean, they're kids and it's Mm -hmm. the 70s. Um, Mm -hmm. So... Mm -hmm how it felt was I felt like I was doing everything wrong. Right. Like I, I right. Like the, yeah. I, it wasn't even that, that I was strange as much as it was, I'm just, I'm doing it wrong. I'm doing 11 wrong or or I'm doing seventh grade wrong. Like I'm doing it wrong. Um, yeah. So mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm a smart kid. So I fixed my accent and I started to sound a lot more American and um, which is actually something that I quite regret now. That um I, I I that it bothers. I, I love when you just go right into the into the lilt of your of your accent. It's so Thank beautiful, you. and to feel that you had to hide that and change it. Thank and, you. You know, push it down is just oh. You should well, exactly. And you know, I, the, the reason I regret doing it is because <laughs> I don't really think about it anymore, right? Like, I, if I'm speaking to a Trinidadian, yeah. I, I don't even think about it. And yeah. this is how I speak. I speak like I'm or a West Indian. Mm-hmm. But if I'm speaking to an American, mm-hmm. I switch. And, and it's, I don't really, it's, it's um, very unconscious right now. Yeah. Um, and I wish I didn't. I wish I'd mm-hmm. um, Chimamanda Adichie talks about how she held on to her Nigerian accent when she came to America on purpose. And I mm-hmm. wish I had done the same. Um, um, but, you know, I had learned to assimilate, which um, now I'm a little bit a skeptical of that word that I, I think sort of and really I write about it in The Beauty of Different that I think that the fact that I looked different and sounded different and the more I bring my difference into a room, the more mm. um, the possibilities of what can emerge from that room expand. Right. So um, so now yes. I am far more, you know, and I'm also older, right? Like I'm in my fifties now and it's 2021 and people are freer to be who they are, um, in, in, in the 21st century. So, um, so it's a little bit different, but I'm far more mindful of if I ever feel like, oh, I don't fit in to really tamp that down and talk about, um, in the words of my friend Brene, fitting in is not the goal. Belonging is the goal. And I have to belong to myself first before I can worry about belonging anywhere else. And that's really, um, that's really the magic of it now. Um, but, you know, it's a lesson I think that time had to teach me. You know, I don't know that I would have believed it if anybody told me that at 11, trying to navigate that at that, cho- at, you know, at that time. But um, I believe it now. <laughs> yes, yes. And so at this point in your life, with all of the success that you've had and, you know, switching from your career as a as an engineer and a, and a lawyer into mm-hmm. what you're doing now being an author and an activist <laughs> right <laughs> and 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 a, a keynote speaker and a coach and you know all of the amazing things and of course your incredibly beautiful Thank photography you. um so even now with all of everything that you have achieved do you ever still have moments when you don't feel like you belong and how do you how do you deal with that now at this point in your life and i ask that because you know um again the premise of the podcast is is just that you know we're all somebody mm. else's other at yeah. some point for whatever reason it might be it, it, you know it might be race it might be gender it might be ethnicity or religion or yep. you know pick a thing um but somehow we've got to find a way to 
remind ourselves of the common humanity that we have. And, and so I'm always interested in how people navigate that. Um, you know, you just gave us the example of how you dealt with yeah. it as a child. So what are, what are your thoughts about it now as an adult in the environment that we're all yeah, living in? Yeah, so, and it's, gosh, it's such a polarizing environment um, right now. You know, my decision to kind of shed some of that happened, uh, you know, I was a lawyer in oil and gas, um, and I was working for a, you know, one of the big oil services companies that was, you know, very, very uh, white and male. I, I used to say that diversity at this organization was a geologist from Louisiana and a geologist from Oklahoma, right? That were all both white and male and middle-aged. <laughs> like that was really it. And I yeah. remember like really mm -hmm. trying to be like, okay, so what does a lawyer look like at this company? And I try to fit in and I'm like, look at me. Like there's no way I'm ever going to be a white middle-aged man. Like that's just never going to happen. Mm -hmm. And it's right. Not so I happening. just thought, well, I just... Mm -hmm. might as well give up and just show up as my very best self. Right. And so, yeah, of course, sometimes I go in and I can notice, I will notice that I'm the only fill in the blank, right. Only woman, only woman of color, mm -hmm. um, what, whatever, only person my age or whatever. Um, but I'm not bothered by it anymore. I used to be bought that used to bother me. I still notice it, but I'm not bothered by it. Um, and one of the things I, I, I come up with a word of the year every year. And this year I sort of have a phrase and my phrase is bright life, big, bright life, big heart can't lose bright life, big heart can't lose. And that if I come in mm. shining myself as much as I can being open and to being of service and figuring out how can I serve this gathering today? What is it I can bring? then mm -hmm. no matter what, whether or not people think I belong or not, I can't lose, right? Because I'm staying in my integrity and I'm right. showing up as my very, very best self. And everything else and any other thing anybody else wants to ascribe to me, that's on them because I'm going in the best way I can. Yeah. So um, it took pra it takes practice to get to that point, right? Like I, I, I don't mean to say that sure. that was ever easy for me. It's certainly easy for me now. Um, but I'm not, mm -hmm. you know, for, mm -hmm. if, you, if you're not used to doing that, that can still feel very scary. Um, sure. And so, you know what, yeah. what you just said is your book. It's, it's the, it's, you are embodying the beauty of being different because you talk about, you are embracing Absolutely. who you are. Absolutely. I'm different. I'm not a middle-aged white man. Yeah. I'm not this, but this is what I am. I, and I have to be okay yeah. with that and embrace that and put that out there because that's how I can show up as my best self. With integrity. With integrity. Yeah, which brings for sure. me to my next question. Yes. So so in um in the I think it's in the Lightmakers Manifesto where you talk about the difference between integrity yeah. and authenticity. And I love that section. And um so talk talk a little bit about that. And then I've got a, a quote that I, I want to share with you that's one of my favorite quotes yeah, from that absolutely. section. But so, go ahead. So the, one of the things that I, I feel like authenticity over time has become a little bit um warped, right? Like sort of the definition. I think it used to mean being true to yourself or being real or that kind of thing. And I think over time it's become more yeah. of uh sharing. Like I, to be authentic, I have to share when I'm in a really hard, difficult place, or I have to share when things have gone completely wrong. And I don't mean to suggest that 
there isn't some power in doing that because there is. But I think that people get to the point where it's sort of oversharing and like, well, I'm just or it it's an excuse for bad behavior, right? Like it's sort of like, well, I'm going to say this cruel mm. thing, but I'm just being real, right? I'm just being authentic. And, and so, yeah. um, and right. so I think that it, it would behoove us all, especially in a time when things are so polarizing is to move in integrity mm-hmm. over authenticity. And so, because authenticity has that sort of, well, you know, you know, damn the, the consequences. I'm just going to, be raw and be be who I am. Right. Yeah, and and I would hope yeah. that being me, that if you really want to be me, you want to really be your best me. You don't want to be the base part right. of you. Right? right. And so if you hook into exactly. values and to your authenticity, you can still be very honest. You can still be very much who you want to be without, without sacrificing dishonesty or without sacrificing, um, or without playing to something, right? So, um, so being mm-hmm. having integrity is is to me far more powerful because it means that even if I communicate my truth, I'm going to do it in a way that is into my values. So I can still say the truth, but right. ma- maybe I'm not going to be cruel about it. Maybe I'm going to be mindful about it. Maybe I'm going to be um, aware of how the words that I use might be perceived in the wrong way, so I can be clearer, so that it's not perceived incorrectly, or I'm going to be mindful that I'm in a really angry place right now. So maybe speaking right now is not the moment. Maybe I need to step back and think about how to convey what's caused that anger in a way that's not furious and not mean spirited. So yeah, so that's for me is the difference. Mm -hmm. And I always, I far more am interested in people who move in integrity than in authenticity, honestly. Yeah. In that same section, you you talk about um, Brene um, and how she's always talking about choosing mm-hmm. courage over comfort. And uh, I, I love that that whole section. And then you talk about um, you quote oh, Jordan, Jordan Seabury, yeah. <laughs> and and oh my goodness! And and here's what I really love about his his quote. He says. I try to approach everyone knowing that there are pieces of their story that I don't know and won't ever know. But if you think about it, empathy is actually tied up in that unknowing. We don't have to know everyone's story yeah. to love he's them. A, he's magical. And he's, he's this young, I don't even know if he's 30 oh. yet. He's this young kid and he's so, um, he's just love. Yeah, tell yeah. our audience who so Jordan he is. is Jordan, this great, uh, Jordan, unlike Brene or Tarana or some of the people that made that first list that I made when I started writing the book, uh, Jordan mm-hmm. is somebody I didn't know before I approached him to um, interview him. A friend had linked to his Instagram page. He's this really brilliant artist, a graduate of the Rhode Island School of Design. Um, and she was just linking to a piece of his art. And and I saw it. I love art. So I, I went and saw it and I noticed his bio said, public policy director by day, painter by night. Um, And I thought, oh, let's activism and joy. This sounds like an interesting guy. So I reached out to him and I said, would you be interested in in being interviewed for this book and sort of told him who I was and um, happily he said yes. And so I met with him. Again, I had never met him before. And he was this really bright kid with this sort of peace around him. He like... um, it was almost like like being counseled, even though I was the interviewer. And he's from the south side of Chicago and grew up um, 
you know, in the South Side in this great two, you know, two parent home and everything, and then moved to RISD, um, and was surrounded by people with that had a lot of wealth, a lot of, and it really sort of jarred him. Um, and so he was again moved to do things like help feed people who uh, didn't have food in Providence, and he started donating some of the food that he ate at the cafeteria to them. And at one point, he's had a bit of a crisis and actually mm. ended up homeless for a while. He left school um, until he sort of found himself again, and then came back to a place where he could really enjoy making his art and also helping the community that he was in. And he's just this. I mean, he's just this really special person. And I I can't, I mean, I can't imagine what, what he's going to bring to the world when he's 50, 60, 70 years old, right? Whether he has all that, because he's just really, really made of light. He really is. Yeah, yeah. So, so you were so fortunate to, to be able to interview people like Jordan and Tarana and Brene and um, I know the the work that you you are the senior director yeah, of global Brene, engagement. Yeah. Is that right for the for Bieberg? Yeah, for Brene Brown Education and Research Group. So what what does that entail? What what is that role? Yeah. Mean? So what, what um, do you do? It's primarily just helping ensure you know one of the 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 missions of of Bieberg is to make the world a braver place. Um, and Brene approached me to actually mm-hmm. to this is a pretty recent position for my for me, and uh, she said I need somebody to help um, make sure that what we uh, talk about and our work and everything else is um, you know is not lost in translation to uh, countries around the world, right? And and that we are mindful that we are constantly having a sort of global worldview as we create our work, as we create the work that we do. Um, and I thought to her, I thought, you're mm-hmm. in, why would you ask me to do, I'm an engineer and a lawyer, like, why would you ask me to do this? But, you know, I'm, I'm an immigrant and I'm married to an immigrant and I've traveled a lot and traveled with work um, a lot as well as for pleasure. Um, I've lived in different countries. And she said, I, your, your global mindset is really what I'm looking for. Um, so I basically, mm. a lot of it has to, you know, her books have been translated in over 40 languages around the world. And um, she gets speaking um, opportunities in different parts of the world and people access her work in different ways around the world. And I just sort of bring that global lens to the work that, that, that she does. Oh, she was so smart to, to bring you. you on board to do that. Absolutely. I can totally, <laughs> totally see that. So what is what is next for you, my dear? As if you're not busy enough, you, are you have another book in I your do, back actually. That you're this, on, yeah, I what, do. This oh this book goodness. did really really do well, tell. thanks to the amazing <laughs> people who uh, who bought it. So my publisher was very very excited about um, how the Lightmakers Manifesto was received, and so I do have another book deal with them um, that I am working on, uh, and it is about actually. Um, being excited about getting older, um, and what that what that looks like to actually it's sort of an evolution of um, figuring out how you can continue to serve as you get older, and also embracing that, as with everything change comes and change does not that change is not necessarily a negative thing, and actually can be a more further enrich your life, like with the right mindset, 
the older you get, the more enriching life yeah. gets and sort of getting excited about all the potentiality that. And so I'm writing this book mostly because this year is a big year for me. I turned 55 this year, my 20th anniversary is this year, my daughter goes to college this year. So it's all a really, really big year. And it's sort of like talking wow. about what does that look like wow. as, as sort of this, I get a clean slate again, I'm not going to be mom as much anymore. I'm going to be more mentor than mom. And, and what does it look like to sort of reclaim that life my own life again and how do I shape it so that's that's what it's going to be about that is such an Thank important you. subject to tackle it, it it truly is and I'm a little bit farther along my journey than oh, you are and you so know don't make talk. promises you can't keep because <laughs> I may awesome. I may very very well tap you <laughs> tap you for that so don't just just so you know <laughs> oh but, you know, I mean, I'm at that age where, you know, I am an empty investor. My daughter has, has you know, since graduated from college yeah. and is now living her own life. But then I also have an, yep. an older and elderly mom Ooh, yeah. uh, who has Alzheimer's. So I'm in that generation and, you know, staring sure. my own mortality, you know, yep. in the face as we all are. But, you, you know, when to, you get to, you start to see age, it coming. Like, okay. Yeah. You know, this is like, this is like, you know, if, if, if it's yeah. a three act play, yeah, yeah, we're in act yeah. three. Okay. Yeah. So what is this going to look like? And how do I continue yeah. to contribute? And, you know, and especially with the way that society views people especially who have women, especially women of color. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Especially yeah. women. Yes. Yeah, we, yes, oh, we yes, will. Yes, yes, we can talk. <laughs> we can talk. I'm, Okay. I'm, I'm Thank excited. You. I'm so excited to see what you do next. And this has been such a joy. And I've been looking forward to this for the longest time. And, and when I reached out to you and asked you if you'd be on the show, and you said, <laughs> yes, of course. I was like, there, oh my there wasn't gosh, even, I a, I, there wasn't I was even so a hesitation excited. on my part. That was, uh, this was absolutely <laughs> happening. <laughs> oh, well, I'm so glad we made it happen. And um, you are just a delight. If there's ever anything absolutely. I can do for you, Thank you know so where much. to find Thank me. Thank you for having me. Okay. You. Wishing you all the best. Okay. Now you see why I was so excited about having Karen on the show. And I'm really looking forward to reading the next book. We'll be sure and have her back when that book comes out. In the meantime, thank you as always for being a part of the Our Voices Matter podcast family. Thank you for giving her permission to speak and for having the courage to listen with an open mind. As always, like, subscribe, download, share. You know the drill. We'll see you next time. Thanks again to our sponsor, BMW of West Houston. There's a special offer for members of the Our Voices Matter podcast community. Just click the link in the show notes, bmwwest.com.